Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Carrie Latticeur as we continue the series, Becoming Like Jesus. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Hello, community family. My name is Eric Dorsey, and I serve as a community freedom pastor. Before your teaching pastor comes to give you the message, I just wanted to take just a moment to tell you why today's message is so important to me personally. You see, I believe that my personal story is an example of how the power of God's love can bring healing and reconciliation to churches and communities. See, over the past several years, it's been interesting for me to see the reaction of people to the issues of race and to see how many people have this newfound awareness of the impacts of racism. But for me as a black man, my awareness of the impacts of racism did not begin in the past five to 10 years. My awareness has been shaped by stories that were passed down from generation to generation in my family, from my own personal experiences, and from firsthand accounts of tragic and unfortunate events from other people of color. You see, I didn't learn about racism from historical events that are just now being revealed to the masses on social media. But learning about certain historical events did confirm what I already knew. It confirmed that the experiences of my parents and grandparents were common shared experiences among people of color. The fact that I represent the first generation in my family that was born with the full rights of an American citizen says a lot about the oppression of many people of color in this nation. Now, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic because the truth is, is that most of my encounters and relationships with people in the dominant culture have been positive and at the very least cordial and respectful. However, the truth is that I've had dozens of experiences that have made me feel hated, unappreciated, dismissed, patronized, and in some cases even feared for my life all because the color of my skin. And over time, I think I learned how to mentally and emotionally protect myself when I found myself in all white spaces that I perceive to be unpredictable. I learned how to assimilate and at the same time hide parts of my true self to protect myself from triggering comments. What I didn't realize is that this process was causing me to cover up the trauma from my own past. So three years ago, when I was hired at Community Christian Church, it was an exciting time for me because I have a passion to help people find their way back to God. But if I'm totally honest, I was a little bit apprehensive because this was the first time I'd be working in a ministry environment that was predominantly white. My life has trained me to be mentally prepared to run into someone that didn't understand me, that wouldn't appreciate me, or possibly even say something offensive. Because after all, part of my job is to facilitate difficult conversations about race and justice from a kingdom perspective. So it wasn't like I had the choice to opt out of uncomfortable conversations about race. But what I have found is working on staff here at Community has been healing for me in so many ways. I've seen so many of my coworkers be intentional about trying to understand the issues of race in our nation and in our churches. And together, we're working together to confront the injustices that so many people have experienced. This has created an environment where I have felt safe, where I felt seen and even appreciated for who I am and my cultural perspective. 
Simply put, this has made me feel loved. And this is what the church is supposed to be about. You see, I believe the church is called to speak on issues of justice and reconciliation, not because we align with certain political perspectives, but simply because we're called to love people that are made in God's image and likeness. So before I go, I just want to lovingly challenge all of us to lean into this message today because you never know how God could use you to heal someone who has been damaged by the sin of racism. May God empower all of us to love one another beyond our cultural comfort zones. God bless you. We are deeply grateful for Eric Dorsey, his leadership at Community, and how he and others are helping us pursue racial solidarity. Racial solidarity meaning standing with, listening to, and empathizing with the experiences of those who are Black, Indigenous, and people of color, referred to as BIPOC. And I want you to know that pursuing racial solidarity for us is not a season or a response to a news story. It's a priority because we believe that is part of becoming more like Jesus. And we know that too often and in too many places, racial solidarity is not a priority. Far from it. Perhaps the symbols of racism have been dismantled. Things like segregation in schools and rights for people of color. But the consequences of those generational inequities are still present in our society and in our biases, resulting in racial conflict and division that continues to permeate so much of our culture. As we were preparing for today's talk, we came across a fascinating piece in the Wall Street Journal that illustrates the long-term impact of division and separation. In what was once called the Iron Curtain, there was an actual fence that separated two populations of red deer living in the forests on the border between Germany and what is now the Czech Republic. When the Berlin Wall fell and government officials began to dismantle the fence, the physical barrier between these two populations was removed. But when wildlife biologists began studying the deer in 2002, they realized that the deer living in Germany were not migrating into the Czech Republic. And the deer living in the Czech Republic were not migrating into Germany. In other words, both population of deer were still behaving as if the fence remained intact. One deer and her movements in the forests of eastern Germany were tracked for several years by a GPS collar. During the time she was monitored, her location was tracked more than 11,000 times in Germany, but not a single time in the Czech Republic. She never crossed the border. Two aspects of this dear story are particularly noteworthy. First, she was born 18 years after the Berlin Wall fell and the fence that separated the two countries was destroyed. She has no physical memory of the fence's existence and yet she is still blocked by it. Second, the land just beyond where the fence used to be was turned into a thriving nature preserve, the perfect home for deer, yet this deer would not enter. Biologists have come up with a number of explanations for the deer's behavior, but wildlife filmmaker Tom Sinachki, who often works in the area, said that even though the physical wall had been gone for decades, the wall in the head is still there. 
And to be painstakingly clear, I don't tell this fascinating story to negate the lived experiences of people of color. I want to validate the traumatic and painful things you've likely experienced. I say this to invite all of us, especially those in the majority culture, to consider the narratives that may have shaped our understanding and biases we may hold surrounding this important topic. This is part of why we believe this series, Becoming Like Jesus, is so vital for us. We know that in order for God to transform every part of our being, we can't settle for some shallow, skim-the-surface spirituality. We have to be willing to challenge long-held beliefs and behaviors, even the ones that may still be locked in our heads, to ensure that we are truly following the way of Jesus. The sad truth is that too many Christians are living lives that are indistinguishable from those who aren't following Jesus. Too many of us who claim to follow the ways of Jesus live with unconscious biases and sometimes even deeply ingrained racist beliefs. Too many continue to benefit from systems that oppress our BIPOC brothers and sisters and simply look the other way. I have heard from BIPOC friends that the reluctance to take a stand in solidarity is often more painful than overt racism. These realities remind us that it is possible to be committed to the external activities of Christianity without being deeply transformed by Christ. As pastor and author Rich Velotis says, whose book helped inform this series, instead of being deeply formed, we settle for being shallowly shaped. Here's the truth. God is not interested in transforming some parts of you and leaving the rest of you untouched. His desire is to transform every single part of you until, as the Apostle Paul puts it, Christ is formed in you. The kind of transformation we're after is not easy. Jesus' ways were offensive to the world and challenging to his disciples. Even so, as we'll see today, his disciples leaned in, and that's what we hope you will do today as well. I can't think of a better place to start when it comes to understanding this value of racial solidarity than with Jesus himself. Not only did he personally cross every cultural barrier imaginable regarding race and gender and class in his lifetime. In choosing his 12 apostles, he set an example of what it looks like to work together in solidarity as we seek solidarity. Yes, Jesus' first followers were all Jewish, but in several cases, he couldn't have picked a more unlikely group to form into a community that would come together to literally turn the world upside down. Matthew, the tax collector turned follower of Jesus, lists the names of the 12 apostles in this way. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
I'd like to zero in on two of these people in particular who illustrate the remarkable diversity of this group. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. As a tax collector, Matthew worked for the Roman government. And if Matthew was like most tax collectors of that day, he not only turned his back on his people to support the Roman government, he likely cheated his own Jewish people for personal gain. Now, as a zealot, on the other hand, Simon hated the government, perhaps resorting to violence at times to protect, to protest this taxation. Simon the zealot had to wonder how in the world Jesus could possibly include one of those people in his inner circle. And Matthew had to be appalled as to why Jesus would include someone so radical and fringe as Simon. This was not a match made in heaven. And I do find it interesting that in Matthew's list of the 12, he places Simon the Zealot just one from the bottom, ahead of Judas the betrayer. This may be a stretch, but maybe even in his writing, Matthew was still working through some of his own deeply held beliefs and biases. Here's our point. Jesus could have included anyone he wanted in the 12, but he intentionally brought together a very unlikely and diverse group of people who spent three years together being deeply formed by Jesus to carry out his mission. This is personally challenging to me because my tendency is to surround myself with people who are like me, people I know or at least I think will mix well and work great as a team. But this wasn't really Jesus' approach. And Jesus continued to work this solidarity through his church as illustrated by a story about Peter found in the book of Acts. One day, Peter, the same Peter who is one of the 12 we were just talking about, is on the roof of a home spending some time in prayer when God gives him a vision. He sees a sheet coming down from heaven that is filled with all sorts of animals that a law-abiding Jewish person would have had nothing to do with. They were considered untouchable. Then Peter hears a voice telling him that these foods are no longer unclean. They're okay. The voice even tells him to eat these foods. Now, at first, Peter can't believe what he's hearing, but the voice from God says to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Three times Peter sees this vision and he hears this voice, and then he's left to ponder what all this really means. But while he's lost in thought, three men come knocking at his door. They say to Peter, Peter, we've been sent by Cornelius, a Roman centurion. He had this vision where an angel told him to send you so that he and his family could hear what you have to say. Now, you might think, well, of course Peter would go. He was one of the 12. He's on this mission to help more people find their way back to God. But Peter had all sorts of reasons not to go. For one, Cornelius was not an Israelite. He'd never been part of the people of God circle before. Secondly, he was a Roman, part of the empire that was oppressing Peter's very own people. And perhaps Peter's greatest hesitation was that for centuries, any contact with Gentiles was strictly prohibited by Jewish law. Yet in spite of these hesitations, Peter goes with them and he enters Cornelius' home. 
After Cornelius explains to those gathered in his home why Peter is there, Peter begins to speak, and he says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Cornelius and everyone in his household found their way back to God and were baptized. They were the first non-Jewish people to become part of the people of God. You could make a case that if Peter hadn't crossed that racial barrier to seek solidarity, none of us here who are not Jewish would have ever had the opportunity to find our way back to God in Jesus. Pastor and author Rich Velotis writes, God is not simply in the business of saving souls. He is in the business of creating a new family. Being deeply formed in the image of Christ includes seeking racial solidarity. This is the mission of Jesus. This is about becoming the kingdom community God dreamed we would become. So how do we do this? How do we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit's transforming work in this area of racial solidarity? Let's talk about some habits that can help us move forward in this. The first habit is to remember. Throughout the scripture, we find God commanding his people to remember. God often calls his people to look back on the past in order to gain clarity about how they change their ways in the present. We cannot seriously understand the current reality of racism in our country if we don't take the time to look back at our history with an honest and open mind. In Peter's experience with Cornelius, he had to wrestle with cultural and historical assumptions as he held to be truth. He had to be deliberate about unlearning what he had been taught. Our history in the United States is a mix. There are many great things about our country. That's why millions of people would give anything to be able to live here. But there's also been a lot in our history that is bad. And we have to be willing to be honest about these problems, how they've left a residue that affects our brothers and sisters today in real and hard ways. The divisiveness and racial injustice we see today are the fruit of centuries of racial oppression and hostility. Recognizing that looking at our past it's not about hating our country. It's quite the opposite. It's about loving so that we do not repeat the same mistakes that we made in the past. Just like in a marriage, you can acknowledge the painful parts of your history while fully loving and embracing your spouse and wanting to form a more perfect union together. We cannot grow if we do not acknowledge the damage done in previous generations. So let's take some time to remember. Maybe for you that includes reading, researching, and learning. The second habit is to listen. To move toward racial solidarity, we must form the habit of deeply listening to those who are different from us without being easily offended. Peter takes the time to listen to what Cornelius had to say when they met. It must have been so hard for Peter to stay silent and listen. 
However, he did exactly that. And in the process, he learned something new about Cornelius and how God had been working in him. The same thing happens to us when we take the time to listen to others. I recently participated in a cohort called Undivided, where we were intentionally put together with people from other races. I have to say, it was eye-opening to hear the different stories. Each individual has a different background and experiences that have shaped who they are now and how they act today. We all grew in our understanding of each other. But this only happens when we're willing to listen and to be vulnerable with one another. Rich Velotis reminds us the work of solidarity is not so that we despise ourselves or others, but that we listen and live humbly and incarnationally, and through that process, see the image of God in one another. What might we learn if we decide to listen to one another? When we put names and faces to stories of hurt and pain, our hearts begin to ache. And that leads to our third habit, which is to lament. Throughout Scripture, the practice of lament is a deep, spiritual, mature response to sadness and sorrow. As Peter hears and listens to what Cornelius shares about him, he has no other choice but to recognize he was wrong and feel sadness and sorrow for his old ways of thinking. In lamenting, we join those who have been affected by racism in our country. We cry with them, but we go further because lamenting is more than a social outcry. It's trying to discern through those tears how we can join God's work of solidarity and restoration. The last habit might be the hardest one to practice, but our work of racial solidarity would be incomplete without taking a time to self-examine. We've all been shaped by our own cultures, our own upbringing, even by our own cities and neighborhoods. I'm embarrassed to tell you, I remember the first time I was confronted with racial bias in my own heart. I was driving through what was once called the rough part of town where I grew up, and I saw a young black man riding his bike with a hoodie on, and I reached over and locked my car doors. Immediately, I heard a still, small voice inside say, Carrie, it's cold outside. And I knew I had work to do on my own racial bias. We all have been shaped by our own cultures, our own upbringing, by our cities and neighborhoods, and we carry some of the baggage of ideas and worldviews from those around with us. And unless we take time to self-examine, we will continue to perpetuate beliefs and practices in ourselves and in future generations. We dishonor the image of God in other people and when we do not take the time to examine the assumptions and biases we have against other people and races. Here are a few questions to help us self-examine. Is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race I don't trust? Why might that be? Is there a particular people, ethnicity, or race 
I or my child cannot marry. What types of people cause me to cross the street if I'm walking alone? What's behind that? What, if anything, happens inside of me when I see an interracial couple? Why? What type of person would I trust to invest or steward my money? Why is that? Finally, when was the last time I visited the residence of someone from a different culture or race or invited that person to my home? Community, our intention when talking about this topic is not to guilt or shame anyone. That's not who we are, and that is definitely not God's heart either. The vision of God is for his community to be a people from every nation and tongue standing before the throne to worship him together and recognize who he is. The vision of God for this community is to follow Jesus' steps and become more like him. So what are our next steps? How do we become more like Jesus in this area? How do we begin to practice these habits to remember, listen, lament, and self-examine? I want to offer two resources that could be helpful to you. The first is a page on our website with recommended books, podcasts, and videos for adults, students, and kids. You can find a link to the page at communitychristian.info or scan the QR code on the screen. We can begin learning together with these resources. And another great resource is the Undivided Cohort I mentioned earlier. It's a seven-week experience that brings people from all different ethnicities together to have deep, meaningful conversations about this topic. New cohorts will be starting in just a few weeks, and we'd love for you to be a part of one. Again, you can find all the information at communitychristian.info. God has a dream for his community. It's a dream where there is no division, no more racism, no more racial tension. That's where God's story is going. And we want to represent God's kingdom on earth as we look forward to that day. Maybe the problem seems too big and you don't think that you can have any impact. Maybe you're hesitant to get involved because of what others might think, or maybe you're already doing the work and just need to learn more. Maybe you've tried something like this and it didn't go well. Wherever you are in this conversation, I want to encourage you to take a next step to remember, listen, lament, and examine your own heart. As together, we ask God to transform us into the kingdom community he dreams for us to be, to form us so that we may become like Jesus.